It's time again to bring our blessing, to bring a blessing to our God. What mercy He has shown, causing us to be born again. into a living hope because our Christ is raised born into a family born into a future treasure endless and unfading held in heaven's hands hands that guard our hearts Hearts that trust in God. Convinced that He will save us. Confident He will show Himself. We stand now rejoicing. Even in the trial. Our fire-tested faith grows hot bringing glory to our God. We have never seen Him, and still we love Him. We don't see Him now, and still we rejoice. Joy without words. Joy full of glory. Being saved, have been saved, will be saved. We bring a blessing now to the Father of our Savior, our one and living hope. One of life's blessings are grandparents. Thank you. I thought I would get that in first service, but it's not, not as emphatic as that. Thank you, Dan. One of my life's blessings is that until I was in my 30s, I had the majority of my grandparents still in my life. People who supported me, encouraged me, uh, were faithful people um, for their kids first, and then second for their grandkids. And so that is a blessing that I recognize uh, from God. But like many of you probably, uh, my grandfather served in the military. And you know, we would hear lots of stories from our grandparents, and some revolved around this. And I remember a couple of times asking my grandfather about his time spent in the military, and specifically about his basic training. Because I played high school sports, but the way I envision basic training is like you know, 10 to 100 times more challenging And so it was always fascinating to hear about that. And so I remember one time asking him some questions and asking, uh, you know, did you have to get one of those haircuts? You know what I'm talking about? Uh, Or did you have any say in the matter? No, uh, he he got a haircut. And then I remember asking, well, what, what was the food like? Was it good? And if it wasn't that day, maybe could you, did you have any choices in the matter? No, you ate what you had. And uh, asked my grandpa, you know, I'm not really a morning person, so could I get, could you get a different start time if, you know, if that's, that's, that was the case? No, you got up when they told you to get up. 
Um, and so you start to envision um, what this was like. And I remember one last question. I, I saw, you know, always on the commercials, you always see them running and said, I don't really like running, so could you do something different or watch, you know? Uh, and what you started to see and what you recognize is that you don't have a choice in the matter. That when he, and like many of you, made the decision to join the military, you didn't get to pick and choose what you could do anymore. You were all in or all out. And I think First Peter has, some mess- has a message for us today about being all in or all out. Again, I want to welcome you to Crosspoint this morning. My name is Kale Courtright. I'm the spiritual formation minister here. And we're just so thankful that you are here to worship with us today. Uh, we are wrapping up a series called Home Today. That's why we have this cool red door over here. And we've been thinking a lot about First Peter and the call to us as Christians that we know that this place is not our home. And so what does it look like to live out a faith in Jesus here and now uh, with our eyes focused on the future. So we're going to wrap that up today. So if you have your Bible, we'll be in First Peter chapter 3 today. If you are one of our guests, we do want to invite you back next week. Uh, next week, Tim will start a new series called Rewrite. And, you know, I don't know what you brought in here today. I don't know what baggage uh, you carry with you. I don't know what your past looks like. I don't know uh, what others may say about you or what you, the stories you may even tell yourself. But I do know this that we serve a God and have a Savior in Jesus Christ that can rewrite your story. And that Jesus Christ makes a difference in your life. And so we want to invite you back next week to hear about that. And I also wanted to just jump on to what Jason said earlier. We have this men's conference coming up. And guys, I see a bunch of you out here. We want all of you signed up for that. It is going to be a great time. We've worked really hard that that is going to be a fun event for you to be at. A great time to hang out with your friends. Um, Some of the best barbecue you will have around at least that weekend. And um, we are going to have an awesome time worshiping together. I'm hearing some messages from Chris Seedman. So we want you to not only sign up, but to bring every guy you know, because we know this is going to be a great event to bring your friends to, to bring your coworkers to, your neighbors. And so we want every man that you know signed up for that. So we hope you will join us for that. Before we get to our text today in 1 Peter chapter 3, I wanted to remind you for a minute how we got to where we are and uh, a little bit about 1 Peter. In this book, Peter is writing to people um, who are scattered, who, people who are um, maybe not in their home anymore, but more than that, these are people who are being persecuted, uh, people whose their faith has set them apart, and so now they're asking questions, what does it look like to be a Christian Um, in the face of this persecution that we have. Um, This book has has two major themes of persecution and hope, and these things seem counter to one another, but they go together, because in the face of persecution, you have hope that can sustain you. And so, in 1 Peter 3, we're going to start reading in verse 13 in a second. Before we get there, Peter will address uh, wives and husbands. this This is called a household code, and it's just how... Uh, writers in antiquity would address relationships in the home. And then he will also have a message for all believers. In fact, your Bible may say that, like, message to all believers. And this is an important message before we get to our text today. And that he says, you must have unity. You must be one in spirit. 
Um, And more than that, you should be humble, putting other people above yourself. Why does he give this message? Well, because in the face of persecution, you need the body of Christ around you. You must maintain unity when this suffering comes, when this persecution comes. And so that leads us to our text, starting in verse 13, 1 Peter 3. Now, who will want to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you suffer for doing what is right, God will reward you for it. So don't worry or be afraid of their threats. Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks about the hope, about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. But do this in a gentle and respectful way. Keep your conscience clear. Then, if people speak against you, they will be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. Remember, it is better to suffer for doing good if that's what God wants than to suffer for doing wrong. I don't know about you, but I do not like delivering bad news. I don't like being, having to be the bearer of bad news. So even if I have to come home and tell my family something bad, I will just email Savannah before I get home. Because I don't like doing that. I don't like saying no to people. I don't want people to ever be disappointed, right? I want to say yes. I want to be the bearer of good news. And maybe you resonate with that. Uh, But I remember one time in college, I I hurt my knee and had to go see a doctor and get it diagnosed. And I remember when he finally conveyed to me what was going on. I mean, his tone was as if he said, nothing's wrong. You just won the lottery. When in fact, his words said, you will have to have surgery. But he said it with such a grin on his face and so happy, he must always bear bad news. I don't know, but when I read this passage in 1 Peter, I wonder um, why Peter doesn't kind of uh, dress this up a little bit. I wonder how would it have been to receive this letter, and all along he says, you know, don't worry. Don't be afraid of their threats. Don't worry if you suffer. Uh, If it's what God wants, well, then you should suffer. And it's like, wow, uh, thanks for the encouragement, Peter. Um, And you think, why didn't he give it a little different? Or why didn't he just omit that part? You know, doesn't he want to be liked? Doesn't he want people to be excited to receive his letters? And then you think about the situation that they find themselves in. You think about what it's like when persecution does come. And what his hope for these believers is that when it comes, that they are able to stand firm in their faith rather than turn or run. Because he knows what is coming. And so he's trying to make them aware. He's trying to get them prepared. And so while I may have handled it differently, I think that is what he does. And so we read this passage, and it says, Worship Jesus Christ as Lord. Don't be afraid. Don't be worried. And I don't know about you, but many of us did not get up, and we were not worried to come to church today. We were not afraid to come here today. Maybe last week when there was ice on the roads, I mean, there was some worry there, right? But today, there's no worry. Um, In fact, we encourage you to bring more people here, right? Uh, We post it online, on social media. We even have a digital sign outside that tells tells everyone exactly when we're going to be here. You will know exactly when we're meeting here because we're not afraid. And this is a blessing. This is a blessing to live in a country that we do have this freedom, but it wasn't so in the first century. See, we say, and you read, Jesus, worship Jesus Christ as Lord. But what that also says is that Caesar is not. And so when a first century Christian would make that declaration, 
It's a declaration that is also heresy. It's also a declaration of betrayal. First century Christians um, were sometimes considered atheists. They didn't worship the same gods, so they might as well be atheists. And so we have different challenges than the church in the first century today, but we do not risk physical harm. We can say we worship Jesus Christ as Lord without any fear of any backlash because of that. You weren't afraid physically. You've never probably been afraid of physical harm for your children because of their faith. And so that's not the lens that we see life with. Maybe you have been afraid or maybe you've been worried before to speak up for your faith. Maybe, maybe you've been worried about what will happen to your reputation if you do maintain a faith and more specifically a faith that other people know about. What will happen if you don't go along with the crowd if you don't go to the same parties, if you don't see the same movies, if you don't share the same opinions, tell or even laugh at the same jokes, what will people think if that is the life that we choose to live? So we don't worry about uh, being imprisoned for our faith. Uh, We don't worry about anyone bringing actual harm upon us, but we do sometimes have had a worry about what people may think about us. And unfortunately, I think we actually have a bigger problem here in the 21st century. See, we have challenges to faith, just like they did in the first century. Um, They may have chosen to switch with us, um, but we do have challenges today. We are so thankful to worship in a place and live in a country that provides freedom, but it can also um, have a downside to it. Because I'm afraid, and my fear is that many of us have constructed a life that we are void of any suffering. We've constructed a life, we've, prepared, we've protected ourselves, that we want to have faith, but just to a certain point. If it calls to something greater, well, we don't really want that. See, just like my story about basic training, you may read the Gospels, you may look at the life of Jesus and be inspired, and then want to pick and choose. And what Jesus says is, For a life with me, you don't get to pick and choose. It's all or it's nothing. So I read the Gospels and I open it up and I say, I want all of your forgiveness, I want all of your grace, all of your mercy, all of your rich blessings, but you can keep the cross. I read the Gospels and I see who Jesus spent time with and I said, you want me to go spend time with who? You want me to love my enemies? Ah, There's other people that are easy for me to love. But when we look at the life of Jesus, his call is to follow and take it all or take nothing. And it reminds me of a passage from Revelation. Revelation chapter 3, starting verse 14, says this. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Laodicea. This is the message from the one who is the amen, the faithful and the true, the beginning of God's new creation. I know all the things you do, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other, but since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, I have everything I want, I don't need a thing. And you don't realize that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. So I advise you to buy gold from me, gold that has been purified by fire, then you will be rich. Also buy white garments for me so you will not be shamed by your nakedness 
and ointment for your eyes so you will be able to see. I correct and discipline everyone I love. So be diligent and turn from your indifference. So here in Revelation, John is in the middle of his letter, his section of the letter to the seven churches. And this is to the one at Laodicea. And now the Roman Empire was ahead of their time and really good about dispersing water through their system of aqueducts. But Laodicea was in a place that by the time water got to them, the, lo- the water that might have been hot or might have been cold is now lukewarm. And so when John writes this letter to them in his revelation, they know exactly what he's talking about. That water that, we, that isn't hot or cold that we have to endure, you're saying I'm like that. And I wonder sometimes if we look at our own life and we see some people who might be lukewarm. One of the most haunting phrases he uses in there is, turn from your indifference. And I wonder how many times we can look back on our life, and I know that I can look back on mine and see many moments that I was indifferent. Sure, my church attendance was excellent. I was a nice person. But I wonder if I was doing all, if I was living the life that Jesus had called me to. And more specifically, a more difficult question is, if my life was any different because I professed a faith in Jesus Christ than if I didn't at all. Many times I think I've chosen a life that my faith in Jesus hasn't really made that much of a difference. And that would be a life that we would call as lukewarm, that we profess Christ with our lips, but our actions lag behind. I shared with you last time I preached about uh, wearing a WWJD bracelet. I remember getting, my, getting one and it being really cool. You know, that's what everybody had. And so I was, you know, in with the crowd, I guess. Um, but, you know, we took them off after a while. And I remember at a certain point, a few years later, pulling mine out of the desk or out of the closet and putting it back on. And this was because of a few reasons. There were times in my life that I looked back and I said, you know, I've said I wanted to be a Christian. I want to live a certain way. And I can see that I am not, my actions are not uh, matching what I say I want to be. And so I thought, I'll put this bracelet on, and it will be a reminder to myself. But more than that, I thought, people will see the bracelet on me, and they will know that they are in the presence of a Christian. And so when they see it, they'll change their behavior. So I thought, by putting on a, a bracelet, I could shield myself from any kind of temptation, because p- other people would change their behavior. We just read in 1 Peter 3, it talked about, be ready to explain why it is you have the hope that you have. And when I, when I first read that, I thought, why would they need to explain that? Why would people be asking that question? I, I don't know about you, but outside of these walls or on a mission trip, nobody has ever asked me about my faith. I have never been to the grocery store, I've never been to the mall, and people said, tell me, why is it that you have the hope that you have as a Christian? I mean, that would be strange, right? Uh, Maybe some of you are being asked that question, but I've never experienced that. Um, Because here's what I noticed when I read that. I ask myself the question, how would they know? They're not wearing any kind of Christian jewelry. They haven't been to Mardell to buy all the the appropriate t-shirts. How would they know? And what I realized is that they were living in such a way that separated them from their culture. That these first century Christians were living in such a way that people knew who they were. That they knew they were someone different. Reminded me of another story. There is a preacher in California named Erwin McManus. And he was planting a church and he wanted to call it Mosaic. 
And in all their meetings and all their planning, he just kept saying Mosaic, and other people kept referring to it as Mosaic Church. And he would have to correct them, no, it's called Mosaic, and okay, they'd go to the next meeting, they're designing the sign, and it said Mosaic Church, and he said, no, it's just called Mosaic. And finally, someone stopped him and said, hey, why do you keep just calling it Mosaic? What about the, the church part? And he said, if they don't know we're a church without looking at the sign, then we've done something wrong. They should know who we are without being told who we are. And I think about that story. I think about my own experience with a bracelet. And I wonder, are, am I living like that? Am I living in such a way that people can see the hope and the faith that I have? Again, my, my concern is that we have found a way that protect, to live that protects us from any and all suffering. And by that I mean suffering due to the faith that we have. Yes, we are all going to endure other kinds of suffering, sickness, job loss, losing a loved one. That's not the the suffering that Peter's addressing here. He's talking about the suffering you have because of your faith. And I think it's because we've not been willing to give over our whole hearts to Jesus. We can say the right things, we can show up at church at the right time, but if our heart isn't fully his, if our heart hasn't been given over to him, then we're just like that church in Laodicea. We're lukewarm. And that's not the people that we want to be. We want to be the people that when you see us, you see Christ. And I look back on that passage and that section that Peter wrote, and he wrote, do good. And I was thinking about that, and I was thinking, you know, we talk a lot about being good. Growing up, I remember hearing that a lot. You know, the language uh, that you use, the way you treat other people, you have to be good. And I think about my own parenting and the, the times that I correct my children, it's because they're not being good. And, and don't misunderstand me, that is a good thing. We, we want people who are being good, but that's not doing good, that's different. The second thing, I think, is that uh, we talk a lot about knowing good, right? Knowing what's right and what's wrong. Uh, we study the word for this, and we should. Again, don't misunderstand me. But again, that's not doing good. I realize what these Christians were doing, what they were embarking on was a life that was a life of action in faith. They were doing good. That's different than being good. You can be good without doing good. But what Peter's call to us here is to be the kind of people who put our faith into action. I think we struggle with this for a couple of reasons. As I said, as 21st century Christians, we have some challenges Maybe not like in the first century, but we have our own challenges. For one, we really like being comfortable. In fact, I will tell you, one of my favorite places in all the world is my recliner. At the end of a long day, or even a short day, I just want to be in the recliner. Because it's comfortable. We keep our houses and our our homes at the right temperature. If you buy a new car now, not only can you have seat warmers, you can have seat coolers, because we don't want to be uncomfortable. This is not a, not a Christian thing. This is a 21st century Western American thing. We all want to be comfortable. But I wonder if a life in Christ, if a faith in him, calls us out of our comfort and to embrace a different way, to embrace suffering that may come our way because of our faith. And we do this without fear or without worry. But for us, it may require that we go and look for that. Because if we want to, 
We can live a life of faith. We can, from this day till the day that we go home to him in heaven, we can protect ourselves from any kind of suffering due to our faith. That's what we want to do. We can do that here. And so for us, it may require that we go and look for it. That we put our, our hopes and our own dreams and our own hopes and with the things that our own desires on the back burner for those of other people. That's his call is to put other people above ourselves. And so it may mean that instead of going on the trip that you want or that big purchase that you want to make, you re- reevaluate that in light of the faith that you have. It may, be, may mean giving at a level that requires sacrifice. That you give up certain things because Jesus has called you out of your comfort in order to serve him and others. So we forego our own desires for that of others. Because we know that just like joining the military, embracing and embarking on a life in Christ means that we don't get to pick and choose. We get all or we get nothing. And I think the second reason we do this is because we love. Because it is the way of Jesus. Earlier we read 1 Peter 3.17 and verse 18 says this, Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. He never sinned, but he died for sinners to bring you safely home to God. And so we live this way because it is the way of Christ. All over the New Testament it talks about carrying your cross. The way of Christ is not an upward trajectory for us. It is one, a downward trajectory right to the cross. That is the life that we are called to live. Because we follow a Savior who willingly went to the cross for you and for me when we were unwilling to return any love to him. When we were unworthy, he who is most worthy went to the death that he did not deserve. And we are chose to, have chosen to be his followers, and so we follow him in that. And so one of the most radical things we can do today as Christians is to love others who will never love you back. To love others who don't look like you, who don't believe like you, and who may even hate you. But that is the call of Christ, is that we love people anyways. It's so easy to love people who love you back. It's so easy to spend time on people who will give time back to you. But the call of Christ is to give yourself and to give your very life for other people. And so that is the life that we choose. Because we have professed Jesus Christ is Lord. And so our actions follow it. Because we know that we are going to give our whole life, our whole heart over to him. We are all in. We're not going to pick and choose. This is the call for us today. I'll invite the praise team back up as we close. From this day till the day that you go home, I don't know what stands between you and that day. But I do know this. Our home is not here. Our Lord and Savior has gone ahead of us and has secured a place with him forever. And we put our hope and our faith and our trust in that fact. And so the way of Jesus is not something that we're afraid of because we know that the way of Jesus is a life with him for eternity. And so that is the life that we choose to embrace. That we give our whole life over to him because he has done it for us. And that is our call today is to go out professing the name of Jesus And our actions follow as people who are changed and loved by him. Our shepherds and their wives will be around the room, ready to receive you in prayer. If today, if you have never chosen to give your life over to Jesus, there will be challenges, but it will be the best decision you can ever make. And we want to walk with you in that process. Come while we stand and sing.